Uh, on the back of your uh, bulletin are some teaching notes, and why don't you go ahead and grab those out. Uh, one thing I just want to say is there's a lot of people that pull off Awakening uh, every single Sunday, and uh, especially on a day like today, I want to mention a few people that are just going a little, uh, that are really sacrificing so that we get to gather and do this. Um, I was just thinking about, I was watching um, the cafe and... Um, uh, Carrie Craft, and she was running back and forth as uh, filling up with the coffee. And so if you see someone running with coffee, just run up to them and thank them. Don't scare them. You might get coffee spilled on you, but thank them. Uh, and then especially, hey, if you have parents, uh, this is a big deal. We only have one service today. And so they're sacrificing uh, and loving your kids so that you can sit and be here. And would you just thank them? If you see somebody with a Kenny's Crew shirt on, it's the green shirt with the monkey, just give them a hug. You don't even have to say anything. Thing. They may not even know why. They're like, wow, this is really weird. Uh, but just give them a hug and just thank them for what they're doing so that we get to gather uh, together. Uh, as I was thinking about our birthday and thinking about um, just birthdays in general, our second birthday, and this is a big one for us, by the way, guys. Uh, if you don't know, church plants have the same life expectancy as, um, as uh, restaurants. You open it up in new restaurants. About 90% of them fold uh, within, the, within 18 months. Uh, and so that we're celebrating uh, two years and seeing God faithfully bring people and grow us is a massive uh, deal for us as a community and, and speaks of his faithfulness and just the people God's brought. I, I just think uh, for me, as I look back as in our beginnings, uh, and I just keep thinking of people and how God's brought just amazing people to accomplish his purposes. And so, um, one, you just need to know as your pastor, it is such an honor and a privilege uh, to be on this journey with you. And I'm excited for what God has for us. Um, I've been thinking, though, a lot about birthdays. And my brother who's here, he's a twin, and his birthday's in August, August 23rd. And so we have two birthdays there. But then he uh, got married to a gal, and her birthday's on August 23rd, too. And then last year, um, my sister had a baby. And you know what day her baby was born? No, August 23rd. Yeah, that's right, August 23rd. So in our family... We have four birthdays in one day. We just like to be efficient, you know, get it all out of the way, get done with it. And then uh, we have our church's birthday, and then we have uh, my, my daughter's birthday in, in this month. And so as all these birthdays have been going on, I've thought a lot. I've just watching, you know, thinking about birthdays. And, and I found this kind of interesting thing of, isn't it interesting that when you're younger, your birthday is all about celebration? It's all about excitement. It's all about woohoo, you know. Uh, but as as you get older and you'll notice the older and older you get, it moves from celebration to evaluation. You know, it's no longer this time, although sometimes it's like it, it's, it's celebrating, ooh, but then you begin to evaluate life. You begin to think about, okay, what did I do with my life? You know, where, where did the last decade go? And there's this shift that happens from this massive celebration to uh, evaluation. I, I just was thinking about Ella, you know, her 10-year birthday. She's not asking at 10 years of age the big questions in life. She's not asking, you know, uh, who am I really? You know, she's not asking uh, the question of, you know, what am I going to do with my life and why am I here? What's my purpose on this planet? She's, she's not looking at the last decade and thinking about, you know, did I spend that decade wisely? Is there, is there any regrets with that decade? She's just excited to celebrate 
her 10-year birthday. And yet, if we're honest, for us, as we get older, it turns into evaluation as it should be because here's what we know. Every birthday is this marker of time telling us that we're running out of time. That, that we have less time, and we begin to ask those big questions. And, and I think the question that's at the heart of all those, uh, all those questions we ask, the evaluation that so often happens at our birthday, though it may happen at other times, is, is this question. Am I really living the life I was made to live? At the heart of all the questions when it comes to our evaluation for birthdays and evaluation for life, we ask this question, am, am I really living the life currently, presently, that I'm made, that is designed to live? Since you only have one life to live, since, since it, time is fleeting and short, you know, am I really made to work at this job and this career for the next 20 or 30 years and then go off to pasture? Is, is that really what it's all about? Am I, really, am I really made to change all these diapers? Am I really made for this passion or this person? And we ask at the heart of it around birthday times especially, what am I made and we live in this tension. We all live in this tension. We live in the tension of, of where we're at and, and what we're doing and, and ultimately the, where we long to be or who we're ultimately made to be. And we wrestle with that tension and we try to answer it. And, and you watch people try to answer it all the time. And, and midlife crisis people answer it with a car or a motorcycle or change in anything. I, is this really what I'm made for? And we want to spend the next three weeks talking about what is it that you and what is it that I am really made for? It's interesting is in the ancient book, in the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, there's this book called uh, Judges. Uh, and the people of Israel are living in that same tension as well uh, between who they, where they currently are at and, and who they are ultimately made to be. And we want to spend the next three weeks just wrestling with that question. Are we really living out who we're made for? And how do we begin to do that? Because if we sit back and look at it, and if you look at it, and if you shift from that celebration to evaluation mindset, and you begin to examine your life, you got to ask seriously, if there's only one life to live, am I living it for what matters most, for how I am designed and made? Uh, and so we, we look at the nation of Israel in the book of Judges, and we're going to see that they're undergoing the exact same tension and wrestling with the same question that we are. Uh, to give a little context for you, uh, if you don't know the history of the people of Israel, they were, they were in bondage and in slavery in Egypt, and this guy Moses comes, rescues them out, brings them out into the desert, and then uh, doesn't quite make it all the way into the promised land. Then another guy, uh, Joshua, he passes the baton to Joshua, and uh, Joshua takes them into the promised land, gets them all settled in. 
And, and then this period of time known as Judges, and you'll find it, uh, if you want to find it in your Bible, it's uh, after Joshua, then Judges. And it's the time where they first settle in what was promised, the land that they were made for. And before they had a king to lead them. And it's about 310 years or so that this time period is happening. And so we see that the people of Israel here, and, and here's what you need to know about Israel. Israel was made to be a nation that would be a blessing to every other nation on the planet. They were made, and use more of a kind of Christian term, they were made to be a light to the Gentiles. Uh, the nation of Israel was made to be a theocracy, uh, not, not a democracy, not a uh, monarchy. It was made to be a theocracy where God would be their king and they would have a list of laws that would guide them and then they would have judges that would mediate between them. This idea was so revolutionary that it started with the people of Israel and we didn't see it uh, and then it dropped off the face of the planet until we got back to uh, the United States and where we have laws and judges to mediate. They were made to live so differently that the surrounding nations would see how good it is to follow God and turn and follow him as well. That's their purpose on the planet. That's why God formed this nation. And yet when we get to the book of Judges, when we get to this moment in time and history, uh, we see something tragic happens. Instead of Israel living out into who they're made to be, if you just kind of read through the book of Judges, you'll notice it goes through these cycles, and it's got uh, these cycles that happens over and over, just this repeated pattern. And the pattern is simply this, the people of God strain away to follow and become like the nations around them. They, instead of looking up, they look around and they begin to get allured by what's around them. Then God just simply says, I'm going to allow you to experience the consequences of your choices. And it finally gets hard enough that they check out. They finally go, okay, you know what? God, help us. And God in his mercy responds and sends a judge or someone to save them and bring them out of uh, the bondage or oppression that they're in. And we see this cycle over and over where they go their own way. They experience devastation. They cry for deliverance and God saves them. And we see this happen cycle over and over the next 300 years in the nation of Israel. Now, one of those judges is a man named Gideon. And we're going to study his life for the next three weeks. And in his life, I think it gives us this picture and unpacks how do we live the life you're made to live? How do you step into it in your context, at your workplace, with your neighborhood, or your spouse, or your friends? How do you begin to live the life you are made for? And we'll see in the life of Gideon uh, some, I think, profound principles that God's wanting to teach all of us. If you got your Bibles, we're going to pick up the story in um, Judges 6. It's not in your notes there. I'll get to that in a second. But I just want to give you some backdrop uh, to what's happening before we get to Gideon. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Uh, the Midianites were this eastern people, uh, and they were really powerful. They, uh, they had just a massive amount of camels that we'll see. And I'm going to lose all my notes. There they went. I don't need that one anymore. You know what I can do? Cell phone. 
Um, and they were this, this really powerful people that came in. And now listen to what they did. Uh, because the, the power of the Midianites was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelter for themselves in the mountain clefts, uh, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, there it's going, and other eastern people invaded the country, and they camped the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. And now just think about this. You're living in a land and you have a people come in and absolutely terrorize you so much to the point where you can't live in your own home, your own city. You flee to the mountains and hide in the caves. This is for seven years the experience that the people of Israel are undergoing. Anytime they planted a crop, then once it came to harvest time, they'd come in and ravage the land. And later on in the text, it says they're like locusts. They would absolutely destroy everything and too many to count and they were superior in every way and they're oppressed and it says finally finally they came to the point where they cried out to God said God would you help us and then we pick up the story God's answer with Gideon verse 11 it's in your notes then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizite, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love this scene. I, I love it because in this in these two verses, I think it's something deeply profound. And I think God wants to speak to you about what does it look like to live the life you are made to live and to live the life I was made for. And, and it's so paradoxical, isn't it? I mean, just think about this. Gideon, and, and you see the context here. Gideon is threshing weed. And I, I'm not a farmer. I don't farm. I, do, I like to pretend in my backyard, but I've never threshed wheat, you know. I've never done this. But from what I'm told is threshing wheat needs to happen out in the open on a hill where there is wind like we just had, thank you, Jesus, to blow through everything. Because what you do is you beat it down to break the shaft, uh, shaft from the grain, and then you throw it up in the air, and then the chaff blows away, and the heavier grain falls down. That's what you do when, when you're threshing wheat. Gideon, however, is not out in the open. Gideon is in a wine press that is covered and there is no wind and is deep down in a place where he is in hiding. Why? Because he, he doesn't want the Midianites to know he's there and come and take all this hard work that he worked on. He's working hard, but in working really ineffectively because he's scared. Because from the outside, if we really looked at him, we'd go, man, what a wimp. Come on. And then God says this, this powerful line, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And it looks to us, it looks to me, if I read this, I'm like, he's anything but a mighty warrior. He is my last pick of a person that I would show up to and go, okay, you see that guy hiding over there? You see that guy that threshing wheat? I mean, in the wine press, threshing wheat? Yeah, him. He is a mighty warrior. Well, he's hiding. I don't think warriors hide. I don't think warriors run away and back down. You telling me he is the mighty warrior? Yep, yep. Because that's how I made him. 
Check this out. Uh, discovering the life I'm made for begins first by, by knowing who God is. This is so important. And, and just notice in your text, if you would, that, that it says the Lord. And then I just want to give you a little thing. You probably know it, but let me give it to you anyways. Where it has the Lord capital L-O-R-D, all in caps. Uh, that's where it tells us that the, the writer uses God's covenant name, Yahweh. So every time you see that as you read through the Bible and, and really in the Old Testament, you see Lord all in caps. It's God's covenant name, Yahweh, his personal name that he gave to Moses to signify this is who I am. I am the God that took you out of Egypt and delivered you from bondage and slavery. I'm the God that did miracles in the desert and brought manna before you. I'm the God who split the Red Sea. I'm the God who stopped the, uh, the Jordan River. I am is what that word literally means. I am God. Knowing who you're made to be begins by knowing who made you. See, we can wrestle with this a, a, a bunch, by the way. And some people wrestle with the reality of, hmm, I don't know if there is a God. Okay, let's wrestle with that. That means you are a collision of atoms that happened just accidentally. And so, okay, we can go down that road, but there is no purpose. There is no design. And yet people who stand there often still ask the same question. What am I really made for? And then we have something in our culture today, which has become quite popular, is this idea uh, of, you know, I have my own personal God, and you have your own personal God, and, and I want to take a little bit here, and a little bit here, and a little bit here. Here's what you need to know. All that does is you have now made God in your own image a reflection of you, you did not have known the true God. See, God, Genesis 1.27 said, he made humanity in his own image. You are a reflection of the God most high. And so you have to ask the question, who, who is the God who made me? To unpack who you are, he says, you are a reflection of me. And yet what humanity has been doing is then reproducing God in our own image. And it's not a reflection of God, it's just simply a reflection of ourselves. And we've got to start there. This deep question. By who? Who is God? You are made by Him. You are made for Him. And you are made for the things that He's about. The starting place, the beginning point for discovering the life you're made for is just starting this Yahweh, Lord, the great I am, which means I am not. And then, not just by knowing who God is, but by seeing me or seeing yourself the way God sees you. You see that? Discovering the life you're made for begins by seeing yourself the way the God of the universe who spoke all things into existence, who made you, seeing yourself the way he sees you. He said, the Lord is with you, and he's speaking to Gideon. He's looking at this guy who uh, we would see him as a wimp, and God sees him as a mighty warrior. God sees Gideon because he made him. He designed him. He knows him. He says, you are a mighty warrior. 
You, you buy into all the press. You buy into all the stuff that says you're a nobody. You buy in all, all you, the perspective of everyone else. If you would just take a second and see yourself the way I see you, how differently you would live. You, you know the one thing that breaks my heart as a parent, and I'm experiencing it more as my kids are getting older? When my kids believe things about themselves that are untrue about them. And, and there's so many times I just wish I could grab my kid and go, no, 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 if you could only see yourself the way I see you, you are beautiful. That jerk shouldn't have said anything in your class or that teacher. You're smart. You're creative. You're gifted. And it breaks my heart when my kids believe something about themselves that is so far from who they really are. And I think it breaks the heart of God. I know it actually breaks the heart of God. When we buy into lies that we're a nobody, when we buy into lies that God can never use me, your past has disqualified you, and God's looking at you, no. Think about this. The God of the universe, how he sees you, he says, I've made you in my image. You're a reflection of me. The psalmist says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. If Paul will later on say it uh, in Ephesians that you're his handiwork. You're his mastercraft. You are uniquely designed by the God of the universe. If you would just begin to see yourself the way God sees you, not as an outcast, not as used goods, but as one who... God would show up to you today and he said, the Lord, Yahweh, with you, with you, mighty warrior. Have you ever had someone um, see something in you that you've never seen in yourself before? You, you ever had that? I mean, the older you get, you have these uh, things happen a little bit more where someone speaks something into you and you're like, I never saw that ever before. See, this is what happened in Gideon's life. God spoke into something that was like a light bulb that he had never seen before, would have never stepped into unless God spoke into it. I'll show you, uh, share one of the more powerful experiences for me personally. Uh, when we went to start this church, you just need to know, I, I never wanted to plan a church, by the way. I'm the reluctant church planner. Um, thank you very much. I hope that encourages you. You're like, woohoo, we're part of a church plant that this guy never wanted to plant. Um, the two things my wife said uh, for a long time was that she never wanted me to do was ever lead a church or plant a church. Well, thank you very much. Now we're doing both of those. Um, and, and as we're in this process, there was a season where God called us. We knew there was a next step that we're supposed to take. We had no idea. And, and we prayed these prayers, God, if you'll show us, we'll do it. And like anything. And yet he didn't say anything. And that was really concerning, you know, and for like months we were praying, God, if you show us, we'll do it. And, and God I felt like this prompting from God where I just need to take the next step. So I had to go to my boss. I was working at a church in town uh, called Westgate and they launched us and just tell him, Hey, it's time to transition. And as I did that, I'm like, wait a second, I'm going to go tell him I need to transition. I don't even know to what, I don't have a clue where. I got three kids and we could be homeless by Christmas at this rate, you know? And so I went to his office and I prayed up and I said, hey, Steve, you know what? 
it's time for us to transition. It's great. I love the church. I love what's going on. God's done amazing things here. I I don't want to leave, but I know both my wife and I, we're clear. Hey, man, it's time to move on. He said, well, shoot. And he's a Texan, you know. Why don't you plan awakening as a church? And still in my heart, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll pray about it. We'll, 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 I don't know. We don't, don't, sounds like a lot of work. And it is. And so they sent us um, to what's called a church planner assessment. And we spent five days in Florida, Orlando, Florida, uh, in October of 2011. And we flew in, and we didn't know anything. We, we're not church planners, and we flew in, and we're in this group of about uh, 13 other couples who are wanting to plan a church. And we're, the whole goal, and they did these batteries of exams and tests, and they had a couple of clinical psychologists, and there's 21 people uh, who were assessors that ha- all had to have a unanimous decision on every single uh, couple, whether you move forward or not, and, you know, it was either a no, a not yet, or a yes. And so we went through this whole week, and I mean, I felt like a fish out of water. All these guys, if you know the disc profile, are high eyes. I mean, they're like influencers, they're like, hey, man, how you doing? Hey, you know, and, and I'm not that way if you don't know me. I have this like kind of balance between intro extrovert and so I'm like sitting at a table by myself and real happy you know as all these guys are I'm like if that's church planning that's not me uh, and and we were so honest we wanted to know we, we were like we wanted to hear from God so we were trying to not get picked by the way. I mean we we're overly honest with them like hey here's where our marriage is at you know I sat down with the, the psychologist here's where we're at financially here's all you know and we we're we we're just honest with them. hey we want to hear from God. We want to know uh, if this is God's will for our lives or not. And, and that's the reason we came. And so I remember the night before, we're, uh, Friday morning, Jenny and I went out for dinner and we're sitting and we're kind of looking at each other expecting, okay, so what are we going to do now? You know, now that we wasted a whole week and they're going to come back and say, no, there's no way they could want, want us or think we're the right couple. I don't think we're the right couple. Um, so what are we going to do now? You know, I don't know. I mean, we'll be out of a job at Christmas time and search around. I don't know. You know, I mean, literally, we're kind of processing, okay, this is the end. And, and we sit in this, um, in this office, and two of the assessors are giving us their feedback from the whole week and from all the testing that we did the months before. And they said this to us. They, they looked at us, and they said, we believe that you're called to plan a church, that you would be highly effective at it and you're called to do it now. And there's a whole battery and list of reasons why. And I don't know what was going on. I'm not like, I I cry a bit, but I'm not like, I I don't consider myself weepy. Um, Both, and my wife's not a crier. um, We both just were bawling. I mean, just like snot, the whole deal. I mean, it just was uncontrollable, like convulsing weeping. And there's something powerful in someone seeing in us what we could not see on our own. Never, by the way, in a million years would I ever choose to plan a church. And we've had highs and lows. But you know, through the last two years, I've said more often than not, I've said, man, this is what I'm made for. I'm so glad we did this. 
See, there's some things that you're sitting where Gideon is and you're wondering what's next and you're in a wine press, you're out of place, not fulfilling who God made you to be. And there's something he's calling you to that never in a million years would you ever think or choose. And that's why, by the way, community, it is so powerful for us to speak to one another what we see in each other. And we assume they already know it. Most of the time, they don't. Most of the times, we don't see the things that others see so prevalently on top. See, discovering who I'm made to be begins by knowing who God is and seeing me the way God sees me. Question here is just a simple question. Are you going to live life by your estimation of you or God's estimation of you? When you just think about it, some of you lived under a massive load of guilt and condemnation. And he says, you're forgiven. He says, I have plans for you that are so good you don't want to miss it. He says, you are my delight and my joy. I was deciding whether or not to go to the next section or not, or save it for next week. I'm going to hit the two big butts that get in the way real quick. I don't want to rush through them, but I think they're important. See, because here's what happens, and I think as God begins to speak to you, and you begin to hear from him, and you begin to get a glimpse of what you're made for, internally, all of a sudden, that fear rises up. And you go, oh, no, I could never. I would, me, who me, God. And, and I think there's two big butts that get in the way. And, and you notice in verse 13 with Gideon, uh, you see it, it's, it's but, sir. He starts off with a but. And, and there are just these big things. He says this, but, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the land of Midian. And let me just make a quick observation, by the way, of what we normally do. Oftentimes when life is good, we forget God. And when life is hard, we blame God. And notice Gideon's perspective is like, did God abandon them or did they abandon God? See, they're just experiencing the consequences of their own choices and going, God, I can't believe you did this. See, but I think one of the big buts that gets in the way uh, for us of living out who we're made for is, is, but look at my circumstances. Just look at my circumstances. Look at what's going on. Look at where I live. I've heard this conversation. So many of you have some dreams of what God's put on your heart and you go, but look at where we live. It's so expensive. I can't do this or I can't do that. Or, you know, and you have some dreams about what you, what you long for God to do in the workplace. But you know, look at where I work. Look at my industry. This, it could never happen that way. Maybe you're a student at a college campus and, and God's putting some things about who you're made to be and you're like, but, but that's just not how it happens on my campus. It's not the culture of life there. And you think about your marriage and what your marriage is made for, but you're going, but hey, have you, have you looked at my spouse? You know, I, I mean, I know everything. I, I long for this, but it's just saying. But look at my circumstances 
And maybe you're out of work. Maybe you're injured. Maybe you've been taken advantage of. Maybe the marriage is on the rocks. And maybe you're experiencing brokenness or tragedy. And he says, but look at my circumstances. I love God's response. He says this. He says this. The Lord turned to him and said, now go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? We cannot control the circumstances of our life. What we can control is our response to the circumstances in our life. And our response is what determines who we become. And so God says to Gideon, go in the strength you have. You know what that means in in our language? Take the next right step you know to take. Just take it. For some, it's having a courageous conversation. For some, it's starting a new daily habit. It's maybe stopping something. Would you take the next right step and begin to go, okay, let's get the, the big butts out of the way, but my circumstances, well, he's like, well, if you take that out of the way, well, I got another butt, God. And it says, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. If you go, okay, from my, my circumstances around me, then to limitations, okay, if it's not circumstances around me, just personal limitations, look at me. Gideon's the weakest. I mean, he, what he's saying is like, man, I went to junior college and didn't graduate, and I'm working a low, no uh, uh, job. I have no hope of ever really making it, especially in this area. Go to someone who's got it all together. Look at my limitations. I don't have the right education. I'm not smart enough. I'm a nobody at work. I'm not charismatic. I don't have the right background. And then look at, look at what God says. The Lord answered him, I will be with you. I will be with you. That's enough. That is enough. Listen, if if God is with you, think about this. You are not limited by your ability, but by his ability. If God is with you, your capacity isn't the stopping point of your limitations. His capacity is. I wonder how differently our lives would look if we stopped defining ourselves by I'm not and I am can't and started defining ourselves that God is with us. This summer... um, Got to go vacation a little bit, and me and my daughter uh, uh, were hanging out at the beach, and I was paddleboarding, and she was wanting to go paddleboarding with me. I loved it. I was like, oh, man, this is so great, so exciting. I can't wait to go paddleboarding. And so I, I take her out uh, with me, and as we go out, uh, we're only out about 20 or 30 yards, but what started out as full excitement turned into sheer terror. You know, she's wearing a life vest. We're on this massive paddleboard, and we're out there, and she just grabs her knees, and she's just so afraid. And you know what I told her in that moment? I looked at her and I said, girl, suck it up. 
No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I said this. I, I looked at her and my heart broke for her. I said, Ella, your daddy's with you. Your daddy's with you. The waves aren't as big as they seem. The water isn't as deep as you think and we're not as far from shore as you feel. I wouldn't take you here if I didn't think you could do it with me. See, the God of the universe is looking at you and he's saying, your dad's with you. You know, the waves of, that you're experiencing at your work, they're not as big as they feel because I'm with you. You know the depth of the anxiety and emotional stress that you're feeling in that relationship? It's not quite as deep as it seems because I'm with you. And how far out you are, he says, no, 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 you just need to know I wouldn't take you where I can't lead you through. I am with you. I want you just to kind of wrestle with this question this week in discovering who you're made to be. I just want, I, application is just ask this question over and over and over again. I hope this question haunts you this week in the best way possible. What would you do if you were confident God is with you? What is it? Take the time to write it down. What would you do if you were confident God is with you? How, how would you do it? You know, think about this. What if this week you actually lived the life you were made for? What if this week you were the student God made you to be? What if this week you were the mom or the dad God made you to be? What if just this week only, you just said, okay, what if this week you were the employee or the boss God made you to be or the, the friend God made you to be or the spouse? What would you do if you were absolutely confident God is with you? And then take the next step you know to take. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today. Thanks for your grace. Thank you that you are with us. God, as we just begin to talk on this conversation, I ask that you would, you would give us the courage to hear from you exactly what you have for us and take the next step. God, may we be a people that live into who you've made us to be and as a result, see the city forever changed. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen.